in a shocking change to our usual kind of topic. In this episode of Octal FM, we charge into the future and discuss the past, present and future of electric car ownership. I'm sorry, I just had to get as many puns in as possible. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Sefran. And today is a sort of, it's kind of like a step to the side in traditional Octal FM topics because it's not hmm. something that we've never talked about, but it is something that is not our traditional kind of fare of talking about, well, video games, basically. Yeah, tech in video games, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and instead we're talking really about tech in cars Mm. and specifically we're going to talk a little bit about current state and the changing state of electric vehicles and Mm. that may seem like a really (laughs) weird topic but it's been on the cards for a little bit because you have been waiting and have now taken delivery of a brand new nissan leaf right which is yeah without a doubt is the most popular like the most widely sold electric car in the world yeah, I think like as of something like 2017, I think the Leaf accounted for about 55% of all traditional right. electric vehicle cars. Yeah. So it's safe to say that they are they are crushing it um, with the Leaf, without a doubt. They're doing very well. Um, it definitely kind of spearheaded the, or from my point of view, not being completely immersed in the electric vehicle world, it seemed to like spearhead wide, much more widespread adoption. Mm. And, you know, relative to like petrol cars, you don't see that many of them, but relative to electric vehicles, it's basically the only one you see. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, say that, I was going to say that and Teslas. You see the occasional like BMW as well, like the, mm. the i3s and the i8s. Yeah. Um, they're quite popular as well. Um, but the reason, that it, like I say, we prompted to do this episode was because I recently took delivery of the Nissan Leaf. And it's sort of in keeping with a little bit Octal FM stocks. We've talked about cars a couple of times. Yep. Uh, you know, we've done like a car discussion occasionally here and there. And cars often appear in sort of your soundbite discussions yeah. as well when you do things like your road trips and everything else. So it's a little bit in keeping. As well as it being timelessly informative as well. So we were going to try and break down say what an electric vehicle an ev is mm. uh, especially in comparison to maybe some very similar sort of things mm. and maybe try and kind of bust some misconceptions and also give sort of my thoughts and opinions on my current experiences with with my car um how it's been going for i've had it for about a month so far now and uh i've, I've kind of driven it in most conditions now in most situations so i've got a pretty good idea of how it's going to go from now on and i always feel like there's something that people don't tend to tell you about like there's things especially like like the traditional media and stuff like that there's always the quirk that you don't you know you don't hear about so i'm intrigued as to whether there's any of those um with you and the leaf we'll see yeah there's a few so far and i think there's a few that'll probably make you giggle as well (laughs) so we'll get to that but i think first it's probably quite important to maybe describe what an ev is as the term ev it stands for electric vehicle and that doesn't have to mean a car i mean it typically it does and in this case of this episode we are going to be talking primarily about cars yeah 
but EVs can be anything. You know, you can have uh, trains or trams or right. you know even like ships, and right. plane, you know, and planes and stuff like that. Does um do uh like bicycles count? Because I mean, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of those in Japan, like really mm. old ones, like as if like like for for the West, it feels like electric bikes is you know as in like pedal bikes is like mm. the future. But in Japan, you see like really old ones with like massive batteries strapped to them uh, that look like they've been there for about thirty years. I mean, they definitely are a vehicle of some description, mm. so absolutely. And that's something I think is probably going to come into its element more and more as well, alongside right. the kind of EV car uh, adoption rates, in that it's a great way of, especially um, electric-assisted bikes as well, like that's mm, becoming yeah. quite popular, where, you know, if you're going up a hill or something for a long period of time, you know, you're going to get really, really tired out. So using sort of like the electricity to kind of get you up halfway the hill mm. and, and then on the way back down the hill, it'll charge the battery up, uh, uh, you know, as you go in. Yeah, I see so, a lot of those in London, actually, a surprising Yeah, number. I can imagine. And it makes sense. Like, it just makes sense as the network becomes more available and the technology, which is something we're going to discuss in a bit as well, becomes more available for these sorts of things. Brings the price down too, which is obviously a big important factor for the majority of people mm-hmm. um, is sort of like traditionally how expensive that would have been, but now it's right. becoming much more available. Oh yeah. But yeah, so t- t- we are talking about kind of electric vehicle cars in this instance. And that is to stand aside by the other three types of kind of other automobiles, which is ICEs, internal combustion engine cars, kind of your, your normal car, as it were, that you put fuel into. Your hybrid cars, which are kind of a bit of both, really. So you put fuel into them, yeah. but they generate their own electricity. So think like your uh, Toyota Prius. Classic. Uh, well, yeah, it's the classic. And, and in fairness, the, the electric vehicle sort of revolution, as it was currently, is very much owed itself to sort of the Prius leading the charge on that as mm, well, and sort yeah. of an alternative to just pure fuel vehicles. Definitely, definitely. And then you've also got sort of like the sister vehicle as well, which is the plug-in hybrid vehicles. Right. What's the difference between those and and like the Leaf? Or is that well, the, the Leaf? leaf? No, so the Leaf is pure electric. So it's you just plug it in like you would like make your mobile phone and right. then it charges up a battery. Whereas your plug-in hybrid has both an internal combustion engine and a battery engine or like and a battery that can power the engine. Right. And you have to plug it in to charge up the batteries, but it also has like a backup fuel tank so that if you run out of electricity you still got a car that will move. Right, okay. And how so does it, that it's kind of having both. So what about when you have like the there are some cars like the BMW i3 where you can spec one or the other, right? Like you can get like an i3 that's electric only or an i3 that has an engine. I guess they vary, right, between cars. Like they do it a little bit differently depending mm. on how it's been put together, right, and how it's been manufactured. I think that that is not going to last, honestly. I can't see plug-in hybrids be being a very long-standing staple just because i think the reason manufacturers are making them is to sort of ease the general population yeah. into electric vehicles as a whole because that is without a doubt the future of, of automobiles it absolutely right. is without any question and we'll talk about the reason for that in a bit um but that is very much a stepping stone for people because one of the big concerns that a lot of people have is well what happens i run out of charge i can't just quickly recharge my vehicle like i can put more fuel in it so that's sort of the manufacturer's answer to going well you could just put your fuel in it and then keep going and then when you get home you can charge it up with electricity so yeah. you can do your city driving on on cheap and environmentally friendly fuel right so that's sort of the main differences between the the four kind of types of automobiles now and how the other three are different to an electric vehicle 
And I thought maybe it was also important as well that electric vehicles aren't new, no. right? Like cars especially have are not a new thing. When the automobile was becoming sort of like a commonplace thing for an average person to own, you know, sort of like in the 1920s, electricity for vehicles was pretty standard, actually. It was like one of the main methods of powering a vehicle. Um, and the only reason it sort of lost out to fuel, as it were, like traditional fossil fuels, was primarily down to storage of the electricity. Like the batteries just weren't there at the time. Yeah. Uh, being able to store enough electricity for a, a useful length of time wasn't really possible at that point. Right. Which is why traditional fossil fuel cars sort of won out, as it were. And then as a result, for the past almost 100 years, have been sort of the main staple of automobiles. Mm. But now with sort of advances in technology you're finding that EVs can be a thing again because batteries are getting so much better so quickly, but also so much cheaper to manufacture as well, which is a big, big part of it. And they've always been a thing. Like throughout the past, so to say, century, EVs have been a thing. Like you can buy electric cars, but they've been incredibly niche. Often either as part of sort of like DIY engineer kits in the back of a shed or say only in say racing, like sports racing. Mm. Because I know like a lot of vehicles in very very fast cars now like sports cars use both you know they use both electric engines and traditional combustion engines to make the car go even faster right and that's not a new thing at all but i would say like the modern ev which is kind of what we're talking about now started to come into its element with tesla and i'm sure everyone's heard of tesla we've mentioned it in the episode already it's the the big sort of like car startup i suppose not really a startup anymore no. is it? but relative to the other manufacturers it is absolutely yes. a startup <laughs> and that's really interesting as well because it took a startup to do this because one of the big reasons that traditional manufacturers didn't want to get on the ev train as it were is because all of their infrastructure for their factories and their distribution and everything that they have is all built around the idea of combustion engines so it costs a lot of money to transform that production line into creating electric vehicles because although the outside of a car looks very very similar you know it's got wheels and it's got a a door and a bodywork and all that the core of it they're quite different you know Mm. the the engines can't work in the same way that you know they are very very different so not having that constraint allowed a a company like tesla with obviously quite a lot of money and clout behind it in the first place you know from its uh, beginnings Mm. to start up and kind of kickstart that ev revolution as it were Right. And that kind of began with the, like, people always think about the Model S, right? Like from Tesla, but actually you had the Roadster and the Roadster's Mm. like, you've written here like mid 2000s, right? Was it like 2005, 2006? I think it was, yeah. 2000. I think it was originally conceived in 2004 and became kind of available to the public in 2005. And it was like a, you know, I mean, it was expensive, but it was like a proper, you know, electric vehicle in the modern sense, even way back, you know, in in the mid 2000s, in the sense that it had a decent amount of range. Yeah, okay, it was a sports car, but, you know, that was really kind of like um, Tesla... I can't remember, like, there's there's some sort of, there's some explanation about kind of like, why did they choose to to go with a sports car as mm. a starting point? And now I can't remember exactly what it was, but, you know, it's sort of around, well, you're producing an expensive car, right, to kind of fund the, and, you know, prove there's a market for it and kind of prove you can do it. And it's like relatively small market share. So it's okay that they're expensive. Yeah. You, know, you can't start by producing the equivalent of a Ford Focus because you're not going to be able to get the cost down. No, um, and do it. the economies of scale. So start with something niche and expensive and then work your way down, which they're doing, right? That's the, you know, you've gone down from Roadster to S and X and down to the Model 3. 
Um, yeah. So, you know, that's really where they've, where it's gone. But I think that although the Roadster was the start in this sort of, the, of the modern electric vehicle, in a sense, bringing it out of being a niche, I think really it was your car, right? Like it was the, it was yeah. the Nissan Leaf in 2010 that was really kind of the, the, the sort of like, like Nissan is like a standard manufacturer, right? Everyone knows yeah. Nissan. No one or few people knew Tesla. Yeah, that's it. They were the first kind of big traditional manufacturer to really embrace mass manufacturing uh, electric vehicles and making them available to the public as well, like the general population, because they were relatively affordable. Right, and exactly. Although the biggest limitations for people weren't even the price of the cars at the time it was mostly the network infrastructure surrounding it yeah like the charge points and actually being able to buy one and service one for example was was almost more difficult than buying the car once they introduced mm. the leaf yeah but i mean in just the space of like nine short years by you know now we are in 2019 so many big name companies now like your traditional companies have, have gotten yeah. on board and are all starting to embrace like electric vehicles as part of their lineup like the list I've written down here is just a short one of, of some of the big ones, but you have things like Nissan and BMW, we've already mentioned in, in the podcast. But you've got other names like Renault and VW uh, as like other European-based ones. You've got Hyundai, uh, an Asian, you know, Korean-based one. And then you've even got some American cars, which is sort of like the one you wouldn't expect other than oh, Tesla yeah. uh, in in the, the Chevrolet Bolt. I mean, the Chevrolet Bolt is really quite impressive, in fact. Like mm. it has really really good range that's like almost 300 mile mile range which is yeah. amazing when you consider like my leaf for example like the 2019 model gets about 180 miles roughly yeah. at the best of times you've got to give it to the these big manufacturers that are starting to really pour money into the ev market right and that's only going to grow i guarantee you by you know the end of say 2020s every single major car manufacturer will have a lineup of electric vehicles to choose from. Yeah, I mean, we're not really missing that many, are we? Like Ford hasn't really got anything. And no. Mercedes don't really have anything. Like some of them have got like electric assist in stuff from on the hybrid side of things, but no sort of like pure electric um, options yet from those. And the reason that this is sort of becoming the case there was quite a few of them, but one of the big ones for me, especially, was one of the reasons why I chose to get a Leaf in the first place. Was we're starting the generation that we're in at least anyway starting to really take ownership of like environmental damage mm. because although your traditional internal combustion engine car has never been cleaner to run like they, they are now pretty low emission rates even on kind of bigger cars they're still damaging the environment right outright and then not just the direct emissions that they produce by driving them but also the manufacturing and transportation of the fuel like of the right. petrol or diesel is hugely damaging to the environment both in terms of its extraction but also in terms of its transportation like getting fuel around to everywhere across an entire country <laughs> even a country as small as the uk is is hugely damaging to the environment isn't it yeah of course so whereas being able to get electricity into a car is is it's already all set up because it's all just over the national grid for here in the uk or whatever the equivalent is in the country that you're in it's just so much easier to get that across in a much more environmentally friendly manner yeah and more and more renewable green energy sources are becoming available and in fact some energy companies in the uk for example like uh bulb and ecotricity they are openly and proudly saying that all of their electricity that they provide is all green. Now, right. obviously, you can't 
actually choose what electricity you use, but they will only source electricity from, say, green sources. Yeah. And then they will plow their money into making sure there are more green renewable sources available for more of their customers. And I think we're going to, I don't have any like statistics to hand, but I imagine as electric vehicle adoption grows, then we're going to need that money and that, mm-hmm. you know, that effort because yeah, okay, it costs a lot both monetarily and environmentally to ship petrol around, but it is already there, you know, right? And like, and and demand for petrol is not growing it's if anything it's shrinking right Hmm. so you know whereas electricity you know the grid which is naturally you know usually dealing with you know business and and home just standard electricity usage is now also dealing with you know cars but i think something i don't want to go into it in too much detail but i know that technology not in terms of electric vehicles but in terms of just the grid is has a huge part to play here where you know cars can be charged up overnight and renewable energy sources apart from the sun they don't necessarily switch off at night right when no, no. one is using electricity in a or hardly anyone is using electricity in the country when everyone's asleep even even non-renewable sources or you know whether it's coal or or nuclear or or whatever they still are producing electricity and you can't mm. you can't do anything with that you can't like yeah, you, you can't can, just keep it circulating yeah you it has can't to like, go just somewhere. be like can you just stay in the in the wires like, yeah it just it doesn't work like that right it has to yeah. go somewhere it, 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 it normally like heat essentially you just get you just, yeah. di- just dissipates well the country as a whole has to have kind of like sinking stations for the most part where it can basically waste electricity that it doesn't right. need at certain times yeah. which is why you're encouraged to try and use electricity at night, which is why you have the option of having cheaper rates at night to right. encourage people to do things like their, the washing, for example, yeah. like, because, you know, they use quite a lot of electricity, like a washing machine. So in the short term, that's like, I kind of see that that is the way that you solve it. And you can probably go a long way by just like, we're using technology to encourage and, and sort of communicate with cars that are being charged such that they charge at night or, you know, communicate that with customers as well to sort of yeah. encourage them to to charge the car at night so that you, you balance the load. I mean, this one's going past one of our other points, but one of the other things that is changing is technology. And although I put down improved battery technology, which is true, batteries now can store so much more mm. electricity, mm. but also last longer as well like the old myth of like oh you can't let a battery run dry or you can't overcharge it or every time you charge it it loses a little bit no that's actually all just myth now that doesn't really exist you know there are batteries for electric vehicles uh and taxis that are like lasting you know hundreds of thousands of miles without anything else going wrong like yeah. the cars themselves are damaged but the actual battery is still going as strong as it was from the day it was first put in the car right so the actual batteries themselves are now so reliable, but also so much larger and higher capacity that you, they are becoming more viable for an everyday useful passenger car. And you know? also, let's let's like be fair here. It's not like a petrol engine exploding thousands of times, millions yeah. of times, doesn't exactly wear out, right? Like it's no. like most cars do not have the same power that they had like when they started and, you know, become less efficient over time anyway. Mm. So it's not like that's the thing, right? Exactly. And that's one of the things that I think people would put off by a lot was like, oh, well, you know, it's going to be very expensive. Well, 
even if it is expensive to replace a battery, you won't need to. And if by the time you need to, you're probably going to be buying a new car anyway in like 10, 15 right. years time. I know so, that there's sort of some concern about like, what do you do with all these car batteries as well? And I know that there's like schemes in terms of, you know, just because a car battery is now like, you know, whatever, half the capacity that it was, is still useful as a battery for mm. other things, right? Like these are chunky batteries and you can yeah. use them for other stuff. Like um, I know there's sort of, I think we're still a bit too early in like EVs for this to be a thing, but I know eventually, you know, you could use them and provide them as cheap, like home batteries, battery storage, yeah. right? To store energy overnight, back to the overnight thing. where you. Well, can, this is a bit know, tangential, but going from what you've just said, in Japan, which is a big kind of contributor towards the electric vehicle industry with things like Nissan, for example, leading the charge, you can get units installed with your house, which your car can become your electricity supply if you are disconnected from the national grid, say, during an emergency. So if there's like an earthquake or something, which is obviously very common in Japan, mm. and you've got no electricity, your car can produce electricity enough for like almost two days worth of normal household usage. Right, exactly. So your car becomes like a giant battery for your house. Right. So, you know, you can take those, if your car is, is done, you know, you can take those batteries out, right, and use them for that on its own. In, in a way. And one of the other big reasons that more people are choosing electric vehicles now and manufacturer ready to push it is because manufacturers are becoming more aware that people just want normal cars, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Because you look at some of the early electric vehicles, even the original Nissan Leaf, I was going right? to say, even the first Leaf, right? They don't, people don't want space cars, right? <laughs> I know it looked cool and people want something like out of the Jetsons or something, right? But we don't want that. The average person just wants an average car that will get them to and from work and, you know, get the kids to school and be able to put all the shopping in the booths. And thankfully, manufacturers are realizing this and more and more electric vehicles. If you look at most electric vehicles, like modern ones, you can't really tell that they're not regular ICE vehicles other than the fact that they're usually branded like, you know, zero emissions or like yeah. green or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, look at the, look at uh, VW's like e-golf, right? It looks exactly yeah. like a golf. <laughs> other than it has E at the beginning of its name and that's exactly. it, you know, which I think is a lot of people want. And th- don't get me wrong, there is still a market for sort of like, you know, your ridiculous over the top techie looking cars. But then those are the sports cars. Those are your yeah. Model Xs, you know. And those are your hypercars that you're seeing that can do some, you know, 250 miles an hour in the space of like four seconds or something right. silly. But thankfully, they're becoming normal cars, which is going to encourage more people to adopt them in the first place, which encourages manufacturers to produce more of them at cheaper rates. And yeah, it's a kind of, it's a positive feedback loop. Right. Someone that has been positively influenced by the Nissan Leaf looking less like a space car and more like a normal car is Mm -hmm. is you right (laughs) yes that has worked (laughs) i've not owned a car for very long actually i've only been driving for about three and a half years and for the first three years it's just a really simple little car a little peugeot and it's been great but ever since i got it i was always like i kind of want an electric car because i that was the future to me that i want to go forward it's more environmentally friendly it is cheaper to run like we haven't really talked about that very much but the difference in price between petrol and fuel is just obvious right yeah and i always want to but then i looked at the options like even three years ago and i'm like eh, not really like i can't afford a tesla and <laughs> There's nothing, everything else looks dumb. Like even the, like say the Nissan Leaf, the old Leaf looked really weird and kind of almost like a space capsule. Yeah. When the, I saw the 2019 model Leaf, which is the one I ended up getting, it just looks much more like a normal car. It looks good, you know, and it, it doesn't try to stand out. So 
I decided to get one. When my old, my, my lease on my old car ran out, I, I decided that that's what I was going to do. Um, in the end, it's cost me pretty much exactly the same amount of money because the money that I'm saving on, on fuel is going towards the cost of the fact that it's like a bigger, more expensive car. Nice. So... I've gone to lease one personally, like I've done with my previous car, so I don't own the car itself. Uh, I think there is plenty of government schemes in place to help reduce the cost of these cars. So I think like it's recommended retail price is something like £28,000, but then the government knock like almost a third of that off or like a quarter of that off or whatever mm. as incentive to, to buying electric vehicles. And obviously this will be different wherever you are in the world. Like this is just for the UK. Yeah. But I imagine this is pretty similar across most countries um, with sort of like similar schemes in place. But even still, like, there's plenty of options for leasing them as well. There's also plenty of options for sort of servicing on them now as well, which makes life easier because, obviously, you even go back a few years trying to service these cars was hard because not many garages knew how to service an electric vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) So that's becoming more and more standard as well. And dealerships are offering them more standard as well. So you have more choice and more range of options now to choose from. The one thing I would say, which I experienced a little bit, but I know can be much worse and i was kind of half lucky with it was the lead time for some of these models is actually really long because the manufacturers seemingly can't keep up with demand whether or not that's marketing or whether or not that's true because i mean I, I look back to my experiences with marketing on things like the wii for example in video gaming like did they really not have enough of them made or are they doing it on purpose to sort of like drive demand higher you know mm, yeah but i had to wait four months to get mine and I know that that's relatively short by comparison to other ones. I know things like the the Renault Zoe has like a six month wait time. Oh, really? And wow. Yeah, and so, some of the other ones, from like, like the VW, has just as long and things like that. So, if you want one, it's something you got to plan for. You could, you can't really just go to a dealer and sort of just buy one outright, mm. um, which is maybe a little bit difficult for some people if you like, you need a car there and then. But it's very much uh, you plan to get one. Uh, because mm. the other reason you need to plan to get one is because you need to sort of get yourself set up to have one too. Because although you can charge these cars on a traditional sort of like plug outlet in your house, like just plug in like a mobile phone, it will charge incredibly slowly. Like there's something really weird hours. about just the thought of just plugging a car into us. Well, like I had to do it recently. <laughs> in fact, uh, I was visiting a relative and I needed to charge the car and. Yeah, I had to plug it into this, the wall socket in the kitchen. What did you and do? Did it, you just like thread it through the window, essentially? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I had to do. <laughs> do they um, give you a really long cable to do that? They do, yeah. <laughs> so the car has like a little compartment in in the boots that has like a bit nice long five metre long cable. Uh, it might be 10 litre, I don't know, it's, it's plenty long enough. Right. Uh, and it has like a big sort of like control box attached to it so that it makes sure the car is going to be charged safely. Uh, much like sort of the big units are on the side of the houses that do the same thing. Right, but it okay. charges very, what very I've, slowly. What I sort of, I'm like, I feel like we need a little bit longer before it's socially acceptable to turn up at someone's house and be like, yeah, can I charge, <laughs> can I charge for a car? But the reality is, is I'm sort of, for me, I'm kind of like, I feel like I need that to be a little bit more socially acceptable because the mm-hmm. only time I'm going to do a long journey is probably to visit someone. <laughs> where... Well, this is sort of what we're going to happen when I come down for the land, right? Right, like, exactly. I'm going to have to plug my car in at your house. It's still just kind of like, yeah, that's like genuinely, like I think that is like my biggest thing about mm. about it is like I'm okay with like charging it on the go, fine, like planning your journey. Yeah, I get it, right? It's not that difficult anymore and the, the range is okay and stuff like that. But it's like that times where you do want to charge it off someone's like house electricity. Yeah. Uh, and if they're not got the 
package set up for their electric rates, then that might end up charging them a bit more money than maybe they would consider it. Because right, it's like I need to buy you like, like a couple of beers. If I- <laughs> exactly, that's exactly because like when you go to someone's house, you're like, oh, can I plug my phone in? Like, I need to charge my phone up. They don't, they don't think anything of it. Right, it's just whatever. <laughs> but charging your car is actually a significant amount of money by comparison. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, that, we're talking like you know five six pounds worth of electricity at least. Right, <laughs> which is you know not inconsequential. Yeah. So as a result of it, you are going to need a charge point installing if you're going to own an electric vehicle, like permanently. And again, here in the UK, there's plenty of grants put in place where you can get that much, much cheaper. Uh, the government do a lot, a good reduction scheme for that. And there's plenty of companies that offer lots of uh, varying types of chargers to match both what car you have, because different cars have different charge points at the moment, which is kind of annoying because you've got to make sure you get the right one. But this, they're getting better at uh, normalizing them, at standardizing them. Right. Right now, there's like three main ones. Um, that is there's, annoying. There's Chadamo, there's Type 2, and there's CSS. But then there's also Tesla's like exclusive one, um, you know, of course just, just to make things more complicated. But going forward, that will become easier. There'll be like one standard or maybe two standards or whatever. Yeah. But getting them installed was a really, really easy process for me, actually. I must admit, like when I got mine installed about a week before I took delivery of the car, uh, the guy came and he attached it to the side of the house and, and snaked some cabling through the house's kind of like interior walls and stuff to get to your original fuse box. And it took him no more than three hours, and it was really simple. And it, you you can't see anything other than a nice box on the side of the wall, which looked quite ergonomically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in that regard, it, it's really much simpler than you'd expect. Like, one of the things that would maybe put people off is kind of having to go through this process of getting all this equipment installed, but it's really not as complicated as it seems. Mm. Yeah, and I guess then, obviously, if you go further afield, then you then deal with the charge points, right? Yeah, absolutely. So... Like I say, my Nissan has a rough range of about 165 miles on average, sort of depending on how much you're driving and the temperatures and things like that. One thing that I will say, because I've not mentioned it so far, is that really careful about advertising because all the manufacturers like to advertise their NEDC range, which apparently, according to Nissan, the car can do 230 miles, right. which is absolute nonsense. Under <laughs> no circumstances in the real world is that even remotely possible. Yeah. The best I've managed to get under like very, very you know eco-friendly driving is about 185 miles, roughly. Right. So how they got an extra, what, like 45 miles out of that, I have no idea. Yeah. But those standards really aren't to be believed. You must make sure that you check the, the kind of average range of the vehicle that you're interested in. But sometimes, like you say, you are going to go further afield than that. Like, uh, even when I'm going to be visiting yourself, like uh, in a few months' time for the LAN, I'm going to have to charge up halfway there's no way i can make it in one go but the the uk specifically has like a huge network of charge points already and that's only growing as well mm-hmm. and then they're, they're much faster than you expect as well like a full charge from say about 15 percent to 100 it's only going to take you about 40 to 45 minutes right and what about uh i know like an 80 percent charge tends to be a bit quicker so you do you mean an 80 percent, or do you mean like a full, full no that's to 100 so right. if i did say 15 to 80 percent, for example you, you're looking maybe like half an hour right okay i don't quite understand the technology behind it but the the yeah. last sort of like 10 15 actually takes proportionally longer yeah than, i than can the rest I, of it. I can shed a really tiny amount of light on that it's basically to do with the way that lithium batteries work you mm. can like jam energy into them really quickly when they've not got any but then when Mm. you get to the end you just you can't do it like i think you either ruin the battery or worse it like heats up a lot right so you have to slow down towards the end almost exponentially in a way like that last few percent is like the biggest and that's because it has to send it 
like it has to charge it very slowly yeah that's pretty much the extent like that is the very broad summary of why batteries battery charging has got quicker because we've Mm. got better at like shoving power into batteries really quickly and like battery technology has got better at Mm. like regulating that in a reliable way so it doesn't damage itself in the process. Right. And that's why you need a, a, a car, you know, a special charger for your house, because it's so much power at once that you, you know, yeah. you would you would burn a cable, right? Like to yeah. do it. So it has to be like a, you know, a special charger. But these ones on the sides of the road and the service stations, you know, they, they're they relatively cheap. They're about £3.50 for a full charge, roughly, if not free in some instances. I know there are places in the UK where it's still free to charge up. Um, but becoming more and more rare now as more and more people mm-hmm. adopt electric vehicles but even still and yeah the, people complain that it just takes too long they just want to fill up with some fuel and off they go but like if you're going long further than say 160 miles you're going to need a rest break to you know just stretch your legs go for the toilet maybe go and get yourself like a cup of coffee or something well by the time you've done all that half an hour 35 minutes has gone by and you've charged up your car more than enough to carry on right yeah definitely know. definitely so um so what about, uh, has, has there been any, you know, you've, you've owned the Leaf now for, I don't know, like a couple about of months month now, a couple of months, a month. Uh, yeah. What's been the like, has, has there been any like big surprises? You didn't even, did you, you didn't test drive one, right? Before you. No, you got I it. didn't actually. I didn't test drive one. And that probably sounds really, really silly. Well, I mean, it um, happens. Yeah, it's not like it's an unusual car, right? <laughs> No, well, that's kind of why I went with it. It was that the car, and I knew the car was reliable because it was the one that would sold the most. So, you know, collective logic would dictate that it's okay to buy. Yeah, Um, exactly. And also, I kind of fell in love with it as well. Like, I've always sort of liked Nissan as a manufacturer, uh, and I know you have as well. Obviously. And sort of, I just just kind of really wanted one. Like, I just kind of started looking into it, and that's just the one that I really fell in love with. And I remember speaking to the sales agent at first with the company I used to lease the car, and they're like, well, would you know, we can maybe get you like a Renault one a little bit quicker, or we could maybe have a look into like a, a Hyundai. And I'm like, no, I want a Nissan. I, mm. I want to wait for the Nissan, please. Also, those, those, um, the Hyundai Kona has got a ridiculous wait time. Like, it's next year now. Yeah, exactly. They are <laughs> so you wouldn't much, get much harder to get hold of now. And in fairness, they're very good. Like they've got like range of nearly 300 miles, for example. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, they're, they're very, very good. But anyway, I wanted the Nissan. But the one thing that surprised me the most about getting this thing uh, when I finally did get it and sat in the car was I knew it wasn't going to be manual, but having never driven an, an automatic car before, that was sort of a, a, a surprise in the first place. Mm-hmm. But it isn't, from what I can gather, even like a normal automatic car no. either, in the sense that it doesn't even have gears to automatically shift between. No, it's just yeah. like a go-kart almost. Yeah. You know, you put your foot on the pedal and it just kind of keeps going, which was very, very weird to get used to. Uh, and this particular model Leaf, like the newer version of the Leaf, has what's called the e-pedal, which when you engage it, is supposed to be, and in fairness to from what I've experienced so far in the month I've been driving, it is one foot driving. Right. Like, I only use my right foot to accelerate and brake. Yeah. So it, you get all of the braking, like heavy Just from regen re- braking, basically. Yes, off exactly. The so because it's an electric car, it can kind of capture that kinetic energy and turn it back into stored electricity power to increase your range by slowing you down and yeah it basically just turns the regenerative braking up even harsher and when you release off the accelerator uh, it kind of applies the brakes as necessary and it takes a little bit in used to and you're really worried sometimes that you're not going to stop in time but it's weird how intuitive <laughs> it becomes very quickly yeah i, had like a I must qu- say i had a quick go in a tesla model x hmm. the other week and yeah that has a similar kind of thing i was like wow i could just come to a stop at this roundabout <laughs> like it's really yeah. odd because normally a, a petrol car right well 
you know, eventually once it slows down, will actually kind of just like fades away. And if anything kind of, particularly in my car, like propels you forwards, right? Like it, yes, it's never it actually going to come yeah. to a stop. You're going to stall or it's just going to keep going. Whereas in, in an electric car, like it can just come to a complete yeah. stop. <laughs> it, it's completely powered on. It's ready to go at a moment's notice, but it's still on. And, you know, yeah. it, 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 that was very weird. Um, what, what's been the worst compared to compared to like a petrol car or just in general? Just in, I mean, in post of petrol car, nothing, honestly. Like, I, I genuinely haven't noticed any downsides to it being electric at all. Because the charge times are so minimal that it really doesn't make any difference, even when I'm just, like, at home and charging. Yeah. You know? I know you had a you, you had a long journey recently, right? And what was it like in terms of planning, you know, for, you know, work, knowing where to charge and stuff like that? Like, is it is it relatively straightforward? Did it sort yeah. of, did it take any, t- any particular amount of time? Like, is it built into sat-nav or anything like that? It, it was really, really easy. And although the car's sort of like internal sat-nav sort of infotainment system does have charge points kind of programmed into it, uh, I didn't use that. I used an app called ZapMap, right. uh, which is sort of like a Google Maps-esque open community map system where oh, people okay. like add uh, charge points and they report on like the current status of them and if they're working and if they're in use and that kind of thing which is really really useful so you can plan your route out you can say what kind of car you have so what kind of charge point you need uh, and it'll check kind of your route and say like what there are the nearest charge points are along your route and where it would recommend stopping off that kind of thing oh, okay um so when i did that myself i recently took a trip to sheffield and I had to go there and back in the day which the car won't do in one go so i actually stopped off at a local ikea because th- they have charge points there and i pulled up and i plugged it in and within two three minutes of using the ecotricity app which is one of the main sort of like roadside providers of charge points in the uk mm. you just scan the qr code on the thing you tell it that you want to start charging you, you pay your money or you put your, your credit card details in and then off it starts charging the car just talks to the pump and off it goes via my smartphone right uh, and i just went and got myself a cup of coffee and some swedish chocolate <laughs> amazing uh, so i'm what i'm going to be intrigued in over the next you know months or or even years of you owning it is the i get like there are charging points right and there are more and more charging points but I'm interested to see, traditionally, you hear horror stories about like, mm. you know, charges being broken and it being difficult mm. to find them and stuff like that. And my reservation still, one of the reservations is charging it at someone's house. And the yeah. other reservation is when you really need to get somewhere, right? Like when there's like there's some, you've left things tight, right? And, you, yeah. and you've got to get somewhere and something is going on. And I worry about, like a petrol station will never let you down or almost never yeah. let you down, right? It's very rare that you turn up a petr- at a petrol station that you thought was open and it's closed, right? It yeah. does happen, but it's really, really but rare. very rarely, yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, it might be finding super, right? Because I need super unleaded. So that can be yes. a challenge. But I've that almost never happens. And what I want to find out from you over time is does that ever happen to you with mm. an electric car, right? Yeah, okay, This so you've done a long journey, you know, you went to the Ikea, there was a space, you charged it, like it was fine. Yeah. And But also you weren't necessarily in a super, t- I don't think for that journey time was particularly tight or there was no, some other wasn't. stress no. in your, you know, in the day or, you know, it was unexpected or anything like that. And that's what yeah. I wonder about with EVs is like, there is a little bit of planning involved. And yes, absolutely. That, you know, the thing about cars is like independence and, you know, and being able to do anything essentially at a moment's notice. Okay, fine. If your car's old, maybe it won't start. But like, that's sort of the, even if it's not necessarily true, that's sort of emotionally, that's what I feel yeah. about cars is that it's like, I know that no matter what happens, 
you know, I can get in the car and I can drive and I could I could keep driving and it, pretty much forever for the most part. Right. And if I need to fill up, then I just fill up at anywhere. Right. No yeah. planning is required. You know, if I needed to drive all the way up to Scotland for some reason, and I know that that never happens, right? I know it. I know what you're it's saying. Not I get thing, it. But it's that sort of like that will that will be a problem when you are at your most stressed. Right? Yes. And that's what, that's just something else to add to the problem. Right. And that's what worries me about electric cars. And so I think that I'm really interested in actually, I really want the next car that we get, not replacing uh, the 370Z, but replacing um, Tony's Corsa. Like the family car. I really would like that to be electric. Like I really, yeah. really would. Because for all the reasons that you've talked about here, right? Like it's, you know, it's cheaper long term, better for the environment. I really like the balance of like um, performance um, and mm. sort of, you know, that the fact that like an electric car just by default is a little bit sort of kind of enjoyable and has the sort of the kind of performance that you need in day to day. Like if you need to pull away quickly from a roundabout, yeah. which is the only time that you need performance, you don't need it. You don't For need to go 150. Part, yeah. You just need to be able to quickly nip, pull away nip quickly. into a space. You know, I mean, that's like something that. I haven't really touched on. But if you do need to put your foot down, even in this like a, a five door Nissan Leaf, like a family car, right. it will shift exactly. quickly because it can put all its power down immediately. And to me, I'm like, that's cool, right? Like for day to day, which is what a, an electric car is all about because it's yeah. not got the range to do like, you know, a grand tour of Europe, right? You know, <laughs> that's not the thing. That's not no. what it's for. It's for like day to day driving. So yeah. I feel like everything matches up. Right. You never need to go to the petrol station because you just fill it up. You know, you just charge it at home. It has the pa- the performance that you need for day to day driving. You know, they're now super practical, super reliable, cheap to own, servicing, cheap easy, to service, cheap to service. Right. All of this stuff is like everything matches. Um, so I really want it to, to I really want that to be a thing for us. But it's just that like there's always that niggle in the back of your mind. That's what that's just that's still what worries me. And and I don't have any, it's just pure anecdotal, but that is the thing that holds me back. So I'm. Mm. if you go like a year with no Without weird incident. stories about bad things <laughs> happening, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to rapidly run out of any excuse. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I can see, and this is, this is purely my own sort of thoughts, it's, there's no basis of research this at all. But one of the things I can see some of the roadside assistance services, things that like the AA and the RAC are offering, are going to be like, battery charges on wheels right right where they'll drive out to you and then they'll sit there for half an hour while your car charges off of like their battery in the back of their lorry or something i agree and also you've got things like um even nissan do it for the first three years if you buy if you own a new leaf they will loan you a petrol car for like a few days if you needed one for some reason i think bmw do that as well like a standard like all the time you can just like request a petrol car and they will turn up with a petrol car for you to do like a long distance, you know, if you've mm. got like some crazy long distance driving to do, yeah. you know, so I think that that in a weird way, like that's quite a good, especially for the premium brands like BMW and, and Mercedes, yes. like to, to ease their customers concerns, yeah. right. To it's, get the more affluent customer on board <laughs> right. with buying a, a useful, not a sports car, not a Tesla Model X no. or anything like that, but like your BMW like five series right, exactly, and your, right. you know, your Mercedes, like what's it, like C-classes and whatever yeah, else, yeah, your nicer cars. You just be like, look, if you need a petrol car, you just give us a ring and we'll turn yeah. up with one in like a couple of hours. Like it's And no they've got deal. like millions just sat there not doing right, anything. Right, exactly. 
selling more electric vehicles. So that's absolutely fine by them. <laughs> so, you know, I sort of see that that is kind of a thing. And I think that over time, as people get more anecdotal experience of friends and family and whatever, just being like, no, I've never had a problem, you know, with, mm. with charging. It's always been fine. Even when you know, there was that time when in the middle of the night I had to go somewhere and I my car was fl- almost flat and I just popped to a charger for 10 minutes and then I was yeah. fine. You know, that kind of story is what you want to hear to sort of like ease the concern of like, okay, fine, it would always be okay. What I think will change that to make it so it's not really even a concern anymore is when your traditional petrol forecourt retailers start introducing charging points. 100%. Which is amazing that they haven't already, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, it baffles me that they, they haven't already introduced that. Because, like, you only find it really on motorway service stations at the moment. Mm. And occasionally in places like shopping centres and stuff like that. Like the IKEA, for example, like I said. Yeah. But when places like, your you know, your BPs and your Shells and your SOs start offering charge points in their forecourts is when it won't be a problem anymore because they'll just be everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. And and one of the things that we skipped over earlier, which I would like to mention is things like GridServe, which is a big company that traditionally installs solar panels. Mm, mm. Uh, They are investing, I think it's like a hundred billion pounds or 10 billion pounds, some ridiculous sum of money (laughs) into sort of like an EV friendly uh, UK charging infrastructure for the most part where it's all solar fed as well like all their service stations are sort of self-generating in a sense that there'll be giant solar panel service stations which will then charge up your electric vehicles so when things like that take off like if things like that take off see at the moment it's all just in kind of planning phases but those once those things take off even more and there's more locations around the country then you know that will become even less and less of an issue. And in fairness, I can also see that this is going to be harder to take off in places like America, where there are larger distances between more populated places. Anywhere in Europe, for the most part, I mean, obviously the UK is more dense than some other European countries, but, you know, you're not going to go very far until you get to the next kind of like major civilised place, you know, like a town or a city or whatever. Whereas in America, sometimes it is hundreds of miles between sort of like major areas of population. So that is a potential concern. Oh, yeah. Agreed. I mean, we're a great country for for EVs, right? Like, you know, we we have the infrastructure and we have the density and we have the relative small distances, right, that make it ideal. Absolutely. Well, this is, you know, we've we've gone over a little bit, but it was a really interesting sort of discussion towards the end there about, you know, your experiences so far and mm. and sort of talking about the, you know, the network and sort of those shaking off those traditional kind of yeah. uh, fears and, and thoughts. And so I'm really interested. I'm really glad that you are my guinea pig um, yeah. <laughs> by getting an electric car before me uh, so that I can f- I can hear all of the anecdotes and find out all of the stuff. But yeah, this has been it's been really interesting. I've certainly enjoyed um, hearing a little bit more about the the process of you know buying it and you know some of the stuff around the history of EVs um, and stuff mm. like that. Maybe we'll have a little bit of an update in the future on a soundbite episode, maybe in sort of a few months' time. Um, yeah, have some maybe some stories to tell about journeys you've taken and mm-hmm. you know things like that. And if you have any questions, if you're thinking of buying a Nissan Leaf and you want to ask Seth a really specific question <laughs> about like you know. Are the seats comfy uh, or anything like that? Then they've uh, heated seats. Yep. Then you can uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can send us an email, um, show at octal.fm, or you can come hit us up on the Twitters, just at octal.fm on Twitter. And yeah, in the meantime, I've been Gelada and I've been Sefran, and a new episode of Octal FM will be charging its way into your podcast app very very soon. That's just classic Octal FM terribleness.
Wait, I shouldn't say that. That's not good. That's not good for the brand. That was wrong. Timely. No, timelessly. Timely informative. Yeah. Uh, keep it timely informative, yeah. TM. <laughs> That's, That's a new Ottolefer. I'm going to use that. We could have that on just underneath the logo. Timely, timely informative. informative. <laughs>